Good morning. So bright. So beautiful. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time um, talking to the people in front of me. Um, I really know what it means to stop your life in order to do this kind of retreat. It's not easy, and I appreciate it enormously. Um, I consider lay practice extremely important. It's the advanced lay, lay householder practices and advanced practice. Monastic practice is beginner practice. <laughs> because the point is to be able to take what the monastics are discovering and um, learning and et cetera, et cetera, and take it back into the world with gift-bestowing hands so um, that you guys take time out to do this is an enormous gift in support of the monastics and also, I believe, in support of what you're doing out there. Everybody needs, I believe, to take some time out and stop. It, it gets too much, you know. So thank you and welcome. I'd like you all to close your eyes for a minute. And listen. Get a sense of where you're listening from. Usually we listen from our head. So is that where you're hearing my words? If it is, what I would like you to do is allow your attention to drop slowly down through the head, through the jaw, through the neck, through the shoulders, and land in the heart chakra, in the heart area. Yeah, and then see if for you, uh, the listening is a little bit different from that area. Okay, so open your eyes. Good. And now what I would like you to do is I would like you to pick someone, a person, or a plant, or a pet. And first, let me give you a couple of, a couple of minutes to figure out who that's going to be. It doesn't have to, as a matter of fact, it, it shouldn't be someone you have a relationship with. It could be if you guys out there, a person that you go to the grocery store and you see all the time in the checkout counter, or you know somebody you meet at the bus stop usually, or for the monastics, just pick anybody here. Don't even think about it. Just 
randomly pick someone. From the heart area, not from the head. <laughs> Don't figure it out. Just pick someone. All right, does everybody have something? Person, pet, person, pet, plant. It's called the three Ps. There <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. Um, and this is what I would like you to do for the rest of the time that we are together, these three days. Every time that you see that person, plant, or pet, whenever you think of the person, plant, or pet, I want you to gather your attention in your heart and send that person, plant, or pet everything that you have that is good, whatever you think they need, health, peace in life, safety, any kind of good wishes that you think is, that you, that you want to give. I would like you to do that for these next three days, okay? We have a, an agreement. Now, if whatever you're doing in, in your practice, if this disturbs your practice in any way, don't do it. No, just continue with whatever it is that you're practicing. But if you can squeeze this in and you feel supported by it or you're curious about it or, or even if it's difficult for you and it brings up other stuff that you can look at, but not too disturbed, then do this regularly, consistently for the next three days. When I was um, young, when I was young, I grew up very happily Jewish and um, there was a part of the service in Jewishness that struck me that I loved, that I said with all my being. And this is what it said. It said, it's um, from Deuteronomy. I think it's four to nine or something like that. I still have feelings about it. That's funny. This is what it said. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God. I have feelings about it. <laughs> Wild. Um, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then it goes on. And with these words, you should tie them, bind them on your wrists and keep them close and teach them to your children and um, basically remember them in every way that you can. It comes from just before that part of the Bible, it gives the basic Jewish prayer that was the original 
um, revelation or insight of, I guess, Abraham. And the insight is the, the, the um, in Hebrew, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. It means, listen, people, listen, Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. God being all of it. What you see, what you feel, what you taste, what you touch is one and it's holy. It's sacred. That was my favorite part. <laughs> I loved it. I felt it. I felt it. And I wanted to feel it more. <laughs> I think in Buddhism that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> But I really, it was, I felt it. It was, it's like Jeffrey. There's a deep kind of calling for being a priest or wanting to wake up, you know, or wanting to understand the teaching. This is not a superficial thing. It's a, it comes from a deeper place. It comes from the truth of our being. And that was what was resonating for me with this particular prayer. And then various things happened and for reasons of various kinds, I ended up practicing Buddhism instead of Judaism. And um, and it, I like it, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's obvious. <laughs> um, early on in the 1970s, I was um, practicing a little bit with Shogyam Trungpa in Colorado in a place called um, Rocky Mountain Dharma Center. Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes it happens, you know. Give it time. So Rocky Mountain Dharma Center, I think it's called something different now. It's Rocky Mountain Dharma Center then. And I was introduced to a practice called Tonglen. It's chapter, I think it's seven or eight, I think it's seven, of Lojan teachings. And uh, Tonglen is, translates as sending and receiving. And what I basically asked you to do during these three days is do the sending part. And I 
it spoke to me. That practice spoke to me, and I and I continued doing it even when I left for a while. It was very useful and helpful to me. It's a practice about connection and tr- and transcending a sense of a separate self, fundamentally. It's a heart practice. And then in the 80s, I started going to IMS, the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. And there I was introduced to a practice from the um, the Brahma Viharas, which are the divine abodes. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. You know, metta practice comes from there. It's uh, loving kindness. It used to be called sympathetic joy, but I was just looking it up the other day and I saw somebody say empathetic joy, which actually is better. And compassion and equanimity, and there are phrases. I'm going to talk about this in a couple days. Phrases that you um, do as a concentration practice and also a practice of love. But I was a Sota Zen practitioner. And I wondered, (laughs) why is it that in these other religions, including Christianity, I mean, Jesus has everything to do with love. So why do all these other ways of awakening, really, have a heart component, an important heart component. And no one was teaching me something like that in Zen. Yes, I wondered about it. And yet, in every important ceremony that we do, including the ceremony that if you still decide, and I get to decide also. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. It's a joke between us because Um, Poor Jeffrey's ordination has been um, postponed so often. So we're not going to say it's happening until it actually happens. (laughs) You never know. Um, So in the priest ceremony, the ordination for a priest, for a lay ceremony, obviously, right, for entering the path and committing to a teacher, you take the precepts, you receive the precepts, right? And in the ordination of a priest, tangent, it's so wonderful looking at your faces <laughs> and being with you. It's been a real pleasure for me. It's just great. 
Ordination. Ordination, thank you. Um, <laughs> takes it takes all of us. <laughs> um, so I said priest, right? Priest ordination. Oh, so what you get? Okay, so what you get in a priest ordination, you get a lot of priest accoutrement, and you you receive the precepts. And in the transmission ceremony, a ceremony where a person is acknowledged as, um, what can I say, as appropriately to carry the teaching, that, that they understand the teaching accurately, and they are asked, they are held up in a beautiful way, ceremony, it's a fantastic ceremony. But there's a little piece to it that's kind of interesting. They're asked to, the, to carry the, to have the responsibility of carrying it, the teaching forward to the next generation. There are two parts to that ceremony. One is a recognition of that understanding, and the other one is instruction in the precepts. <laughs> Sick, you know. <laughs> So, more and more as I uh, live with the precepts, I'm beginning to understand that actually the place that we are asked to transcend selfishness and to connect and to understand the truth that these precepts are coming from, which is this one whole being, is practice of heart practice of Sotosan is the precepts. And I was never told that. We always emphasize, when I was learning stuff, we always emphasize the ten, they used to be called the grave precepts. Now we call them the specific precepts. But they come out of the three pure precepts, which is the attitude of heart, heart attitude. And the three pure precepts come out of the three refuges, which is basically the embodiment and the teaching of this one being. So I'm going to tell you how how we got them, our particular kind of precepts. Originally, when the Buddha, when somebody wanted to uh, join Sangha, the Buddha gave, uh-oh, 
<laughs> tangent. <laughs> he gave, I was gonna, okay, I'll say a person, but usually they're always men, right? So that's my tangent. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, he gave them the three refuges. Take refuge in the teacher, the mind of awakening. Take refuge in the, I said the teaching already, and the community, Sangha. And then he said, come monk, and that was it. <laughs> and then a community grew up around him, and he noticed that in order to have a harmonious community, and to develop farther, there needed to be some guidelines. So the first guidelines were the first five precepts. You know what they are? Yes, you do. I know you do. You guys know what they are? What are they? A. Hi, Eddie. Hi. Great. Great to see you. You're muted. You can unmute yourself now. Oh, no. Yeah. Hi. It's great to see you. Yeah. Five yeah. precepts. Yeah. Um, not, not to kill. Not, not to take what is not. And no sexual misconduct. Not yeah, could um you cut out every so often? But I think you said not to kill, not to take what isn't given, not to misuse not to actually at that time it was to be celibate. I wait, don't tell me. Not to lie. Right? And what was the other one? Uh yeah, I, wonder, I wonder if that, I wonder how that one was. I'll have to think about that a minute. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Did you guys not know that? <laughs> Why don't you raise your hand? <laughs> See, we had to depend on the householders. <laughs> Beginning practice. Anyway, I know you know. <laughs> anyway, they started with um, these five, and um, they actually, they had precepts before the Buddha took these five. They were Brahmin, I think, I'm not sure, I, people who know the history would know better than I, but anyway, they existed before, and even, I think, Buddha's mom, not mom, but the one who raised him, had eight so she was probably doing some kind of vedic you know uh, guidelines so he took those but he did the reason why i hesitated about the intoxicating one is because it said that the buddha added something about the intoxicated one um, because he didn't want to cloud the mind he wanted to emphasize 
to have a mind that is not played with, that you, do you work with the mind as you have it. And the other one was um, that Oh, karma, karma. He included intention, intentionality was the most important aspect of activity, the resultant of activity. And then after the Buddha's death, oh, um, yeah, after the Buddha's death, there were more people made, I don't know who, who was in charge evidently at the time, they continued to make guidelines. And I think a little bit they ended up feeling like rules. I think they probably did because I hope I'm not, you know, I, let me, a tangent a second. You know, all the lineages of Buddhism and, and really all religions, um, I don't want to cast dispersions on anything. All the paths are, uh, worthy and helpful to people. So what I say now um, is not making a judgment. I love the Theravadan path as well, but I think at that time they ended up being more like um, a little bit rigid rules having to do with your own personal awakening. And it ended up being, well now, Theravadan men, Theravadan have 227, I think. Yes. I mean, really, the, the monastics do. And women, what do you think, more or less than the men? More. <laughs> That's right. And so it begins. <laughs> That's okay. We can handle it. Um, and there was some confusion around it because there were so many that eventually um, some people did some of the rules um, with a lot of attention and some of the rules kind of went by the wayside. And Mahayana came up. And so the people who were doing evidently the Mahayana style of things um, reduced through, I think this happened with the uh, Brahmachala Sutra, not really a Sutra, but not the Buddha's words, but um, 58, they, they made them come down to 58. So the, the, they were the 10 grave precepts and 48 other precepts that are kind of important. One of them was charity, you know, give enough to charity. And another one was uh, uh, don't do violence. You know, so they're also very good suggestions for living. And then after that, oh yeah, that's right. So we have the three refuges from the Buddha and we have 58 from Mahayana Bodhisattva precepts and the difference there, I can ask, I bet you guys know what the difference there would be. Don't ask. <laughs> okay. The difference, of course, is that 
the Mahayana included what your how your behavior affected other people, and included other people in the whole process and so on. So those are the you know Bodhisattva precepts. So we have refuges, Bodhisattva precepts, and then the Avatam in the Avatamsaka Sutra, there are the three pure precepts. So by the time it gets to China, some people were practicing many precepts more, and some people were practicing what turned into the 16 bodhisattva precepts, the three refuges, the three pure precepts, and instead of the 48 slightly different precepts, they took the 10 grave precepts. Am I not, do you not understand? Yoko? Are you okay? Because no. your eyes are... I'm concentrating. Oh, you're concentrating. <laughs> okay. Um, so then, this, interest, this is an interesting part. I thought it was interesting. When Dogen went to China from Japan, he um, bumped into this discussion, which was to say, you know, maybe if you only take the Mahayana Bodhisattva precepts, you're not really ordained because you haven't taken the hundred other precepts, mm -hmm. right? But luckily, Tendon Yojo, which is, you know, Dogen's teacher, he said it was okay. So those are the precepts that he gave to Dogen. And those are the precepts that he brought back to China, and those are the precepts that we receive today. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting. Dogen also wrote um, teachings specifically on the precepts, Kyojo Kaiman, that we study when we take, like, when. I don't know why I keep saying take. Take is the old way of talking about it. We say receive now. told you everything I wanted to talk about. Yes, I have. So for me, I would, for me myself, in my own practice with the precepts, I now uh, oh, sorry, don't have, I'm looking for words today. I uh, consider them. I consider them our our heart teaching, and I approach them that way. And so I'm sure that when you guys, the more we are in alignment with truth, which is this one wholeness, the more we separate from that, which is what you guys do 
we all do when we uh, don't observe these specific precepts when we when we move when we don't align when we're not aligned and we and we make a mistake make a mistake if you pay attention it actually hurts right it hurts it hurts because we're not in alignment with truth that's why it hurts it, it hurts when we contract well if we contract in the body that for sure hurts we know that right but also when you contract in the mind you know the awareness is unlocatable and undifferentiated and unconditioned and vast awareness and when it contracts as you know conditioned consciousness or contracts more when we are uh, let's just um, as an example not following the precepts it hurts because it creates a separate a separate me <laughs> and if we're sensitive or if we're just paying attention we feel that when we make a separation like that it doesn't feel good So the mind of Buddha, not the mind, the heart of Buddha is same as the mind. It's a vast, unconditioned event that moves in the world of form as love, as connection, as intimacy. And I think if we, um, well, I, well, for me anyway, for me it was really helpful to feel the precepts in that way. So, you know, you don't feel them as rules. You know, you don't feel them as imposed something. You don't feel them as as uh, coming from you know outside if you work with them this way you feel them coming from your depth because the truth is it's how we want to behave you know we're good everybody Everybody's doing their best, even when we make horrific mistakes. <laughs> you know, that's what I think. I think people who, you know, do things that are cruel and so on and so forth, you know, they, the conditioning that they had to endure in order to do those kinds of things it's tragic not to say that they're not responsible they're responsible but there are reasons you know so that's why I wanted you guys just for the next few days 
you know, not up here. Okay, drop it down. Drop it down to the heart chakra. It's an organ of perception. And perceive through the heart. And send your designated receiving person, plant, or pet all your goodness. There's a lot of it in there. And it will come back. It does. It comes back. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.